part one chapter four the secret of charlotte bronte this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by anusha ayer mumbai the secret of charlotte bronte by frederica richardson macdonald part one chapter four the confessions at saint gudule we are now in a position to realize the emotions and experiences that lasted up to the eve of charlotte's return to england but there are two events that vary the incessant conflict with madame hager and that help to form the basis of real experiences expressed in the portraits that are not historical pictures of zoraida reuter and of madame beck these two events also reappear as scenes in villette that did not take place in the way the authoress relates them but that put us in possession of the parallel facts in charlotte's true career where she felt the very same emotions she describes in the novel the first event gives us the actual the original history of what in villette reappears in the imaginary account of lucy snow's confession and serves there to introduce us to the jesuit who is half a spy and half a saint Père silas in charlotte's life the event as it is related by her in a letter to emily took place during that long and solitary vacation in the empty pensionnat where from august to october eighteen forty three charlotte was left to face the position now made for her by madame hager's discovery of the secret that possessed by her enemy could not remain hidden from charlotte herself charlotte's letter to emily begins by describing the desolation of this large house with its deserted classrooms and silent garden and gallery and for her solitary companion only the repulsive-minded and malicious mademoiselle blanche whom she has described in an earlier letter as a spy of madame hager's i should inevitably she writes fall into the gulf of low spirits if i stayed always by myself yesterday i went on a pilgrimage to the cemetery and far beyond it on to a hill where there was nothing but fields as far as the horizon when i came back it was evening but i had such a repugnance to return to the house which contained nothing that i cared for that i kept treading the narrow streets in the neighbourhood of the rue d'isabelle and avoiding it i found myself opposite to saint gudule and the bell whose voice you know began to toll for evening salut i went in quite alone which procedure you will say is not much like me wandered about the aisles where a few old women were saying their prayers till vespers i stayed till they were over still i could not leave the church nor force myself to go home to school i mean an odd whim came into my head in a solitary part of the cathedral six or seven people still remained kneeling by the confessionals in two confessionals i saw a priest i felt as if i did not care what i did provided it was not absolutely wrong and that it served to vary my life and yield a moment's interest i took a fancy to change myself into a catholic and go and make a real confession to see what it was like 
knowing me as you do you will think this odd but when people are by themselves they have singular fancies a penitent was occupied in confessing they do not go into the sort of pew or cloister the priest occupies but kneel down on the steps and confess through a grating both the confessor and the penitent whisper very low you can hardly hear their voices after i had watched two or three penitents go and return i approached at last and knelt down in a niche which was just vacated i had to kneel there ten minutes waiting for on the other side was another penitent invisible to me at last that one went away and a little wooden door inside the grating opened and i saw the priest leaning his ear toward me i was obliged to begin and yet i did not know a word of the formula with which they always commenced their confessions i began by saying i was a foreigner and had been brought up as a protestant the priest asked if i was a protestant then i somehow could not tell a lie and said yes he replied that in that case i could not joie du bonheur de la confesse but i was determined to confess and at last he said he would allow me because it might be the first step towards returning towards the true church i actually did confess a real confession when i had done he told me his address and said that every morning i was to go to the rue du parc to his house and he would reason with me and try to convince me of the error and enormity of being a protestant i promised faithfully of course however the adventure stops here and i hope i shall never see the priest again i think you had better not tell papa this he will not understand that it was only a freak and will perhaps think i am going to turn catholic only a freak an odd whim even without the knowledge of the special facts we now possess could any serious student of charlotte bronte believe it given what we know of her seriousness of her religious temper that cannot take spiritual things lightly of her rational protestant piety of her antipathy to catholic formulas given all this as characteristic of her aspirations and as characteristics of her personality shyness and reserve carried almost to morbidness can any one believe that mere ennui a craving for variety excitement flung this normally shamefaced timid englishwoman down on her knees on the stone steps of the sanguidule confessional inspired her with the determination needed to withstand the priest's objections to allow her as a protestant the joie du bonheur de la confesse compelled her to insist upon her claim by virtue of her dire need of this happiness or at any rate of this relief of unburthening her soul by a real confessional a real confession of what what crime has this poor innocent charlotte on her conscience that stands in such need of confession no crime we may be sure only the weight the misery of this tragic secret too intimate too sacred to be confided even to those nearest to her even to emily
but now that her enemy holds it too grievous a secret to remain unshared with some one who is not an enemy nor yet a friend a stranger who will not blush nor tremble for her will not see her whilst she whispers through the grating whom she will not see or meet again some one who by profession is god's delegate of mercy to deliver the unwilling offender who repents him of his secret sins some one who is pledged when he has given pardon and consolation never to betray what he has heard to forget it even some one who experienced in offering counsel and consolation may who can say offer some comfort or advice assisting her to extricate herself from the snare into which she has fallen and to recover safely does one not know what the confession whispered through the grating really was or can one doubt what the priest's advice was was it not necessarily the same advice so urgently forced upon her by madame hager she must escape from the peril of temptation she must not show this tragic passion any mercy she must break the spell she must go back to england she felt she could not do this thing of herself without god's special grace preventing her therefore she must diligently seek to obtain this grace by the aid of the holy catholic church and she must call in the rue du parc next morning in so far as the last recommendation went we know charlotte did not follow it the adventure as she says herself stopped there nor is there anything in her own story to indicate the existence of any real jesuit taking the place of the mischief-making saint pere silas familiar to readers of villet the priest of saint gudule comes to us as a more impressive personage just because charlotte never met him again but his advice remained vividly present to her recollection we may feel sure on the twenty-third october about a month after this event she writes once more to ellen nassi it is a curious position to be so utterly solitary in the midst of numbers one day lately i felt as if i could bear it no longer and i went to madame hager and gave her notice if it had depended upon her i should certainly have soon been at liberty but monsieur hager having heard of what was in agitation sent for me the day after and pronounced with vehemence his decision that i could not leave i could not at that time have persevered in my intentions without exciting him to anger and promised to stay a little while longer and so what had to be done in the end was postponed and the old hidden enmity between charlotte and madame hager went on for another three months End of chapter 4 Recording by Anusha Ayer, Mumbai